0: You are listening to Fighting With God. Fighting With God exists to proclaim the gospel so that a lively faith, the abundant love of God, and a confident hope that endures the darkness can be presented to a world that desperately needs them. We believe that engaging the struggles of following Jesus and calling things what they are, being theologians of the cross, can set us free to know the God who knows and loves us where we are and to the life he created us to have. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Fighting with God, Season 3, Episode 22. And I'm your host, Dave Ketter, and with me is my friend and co-host, Jason Wilson. Hey, everybody. And so we are coming up on one of the loudest days of the year in the United States with...
1: Boom, um, boom, boom, boom. Yes,
0: lots of things going boom and lots of dogs freaking out. And lots of children screaming, crying, laughing, and going, ooh, and whoa. But, uh... And let's
1: not forget the grills. Yes. Fire. Fire everywhere.
0: Yes. (laughs) And somehow, we can still see the blue sky. Anyway, yes, if you haven't guessed by now, it is Independence Day coming up. And, uh... Yeah. it's, it's, It's kind of a big deal in the American scene. And, um... And so there's a fair bit that is that goes into that uh, for everybody. You know, it's family gatherings and community parades and, you know, military pageantry and civic pageantry and essays and contests and games. And it, it's a big thing and uh, makes you kind of wonder, like, What all is going on? And, you know, everybody goes back to July 4th, 1776, and the signing of the Declaration of Independence, and, you know, American independence from Great Britain, and all all of that. And we're not going to get into that sort of history, but the thing that Independence Day raises in some ways is um, something that is becoming more and more obviously complicated for folks is that. Frankly, the Christian relationship to um, to the American political scene, or any political scene for that matter, maybe isn't quite so straightforward. Yeah, it's
1: maybe especially complicated even in the U.S. because we have this weird combination of Freedom of religion, which people talk all sorts of ways about how that's actually applied today. Yeah. And... Being one nation under God. So being an ostensibly Christian nation. According to some. According to some.
0: I was going to say, it's like, you know, as soon as you say under God, everybody's like, well, which God? And, you know, I mean, there's even people that go say... Insist on saying under goddess, for example. So, like, it's all over the place.
1: Right. So, even right there at the beginning, which, you know, if you're being taught this by someone, it's probably being taught fairly straightforward. And, like, of course this is the way it is. Duh. Because most of us think that our way of approaching it is, of course, Mm-hmm. what it is
0: yeah yeah and i mean uh, uh, you know if your background's anything like mine you grew up with this narrative of you know we were founded as a christian nation and uh you know we were supposed to be a city on a hill and christian values are are the ethics of the american government and all those all this whole narrative of of you know almost sounding like you know The chosen people. Um, And there's a lot of reasons to go into that, theologically and historically, that, again, we're not getting into here. But um, I think the events of the last several years, um, and certainly of the last few months, uh, with with everything in terms of racism, in terms of um, the way our government interacts with that, has brought... questions for some very serious people of faith, for folks who are wondering, you know, okay, as as someone who is a follower of Jesus, I'm someone who values life at at every stage, at every level. I'm someone who understands that God desires that the weak and the vulnerable should be protected. Uh, I'm someone that wants to see the stranger well-treated and welcomed. I'm, some, You know, like you can go on and all these values that come out of the scriptures. And then you look at the American political scene and say, um, where do I fit in? Right, because we have
1: this, you know, two-party system that's ostensibly not two parties that theoretically could have... Others, but functionally there's just two, and if you don't fit into one of those, then, well, you have to vote for someone, but then you find yourself voting for the least bad option, and how does that fit in with...
0: Right. Right. And, of course, you know, there's spaces within the Christian tradition that would say, um, are you sure you should even vote? So there's, like, that's not even a settled question. Uh, and, and that's, all that is to say that, you know, I grew up in a world where the, where my faith and my politics actually integrated pretty seamlessly uh, with, with the way that America operated. And, you know, like, the, it was this straightforward way of, You know, I was Christian, I was conservative, and I could, I would mostly vote, mostly vote Republican. There was a conceivable hypothetical time I might vote for Democrat, you know, if they were pro life or something. Uh, You know, like there was this standard, right? And then, like, I've just gone on this journey, like reading the scriptures, and I've internalized more of the scriptures, and I've listened to what the ancient church has taught and what the Reformation church taught and what great theologians of the, of the modern church have taught. And you start to imbibe more of that scriptural teaching and, and that Christian faithfulness and, and the idea of the kingdom of God. And you start to realize, actually, there, I have some political things I have to repent of <laughs> and, and change my mind on and be transformed by and like realize that my vision for America is nowhere near where God's vision for the United States or for the world is.
1: Yeah. I don't think my experience of coming to a very similar realization was quite that... um Dramatic. Dramatic, academic, mm. I, I don't know what the right word is there, grandiose. Um, <laughs>
0: <laughs> Gee, thanks.
1: W- whatever. Um, but it, it was really mm. subtle for me. Mm. I, and it was in a matter, and it was a time period where I did not feel rooted to anything. Uh, I had moved several times in the course of five years or less. Uh, I had gone through a lot of moves recently. And I was doing missions trips annually. Um, And so I had this growing awareness of... Caring for the world, not just my country or state or town or, you know, whatever my bubble happened to be. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, that unrootedness of not feeling like I had a place to call home, Mm. it left me relating to Abraham. Yeah. Not in the... I'm going to be the patriarch of a great nation kind of way so much as, well, I'm going somewhere. I have no idea where. And someday it'll be home maybe, but I haven't, right now, I'm in a place that isn't my own.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And realizing that throughout the New Testament, there's this language of God and King where our allegiance dare I say our patriotism is to the cross and to God Mm -hmm. and not to any one particular nation Mm -hmm. yeah which blew my mind still does sometimes yeah Because it's so not what I was brought up with. Right. Like, what I was brought up with was much more, you hold these two things. And, you know, of course, you're a Christian first and foremost. But your country is also really important. Right. right? And your government and, you know, taking part in society and... Mm -hmm how government shapes that. And, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and some of what you described there is actually really close to reflecting on uh, the teaching of the ancient church. So, I mean, you talked about Abraham and the call that Abraham had, he was called out of his own country to a place he didn't know. And uh, to be, to be the recipient of God's promises and to be the, the means by which the whole world would be blessed. Uh, Justin Martyr actually makes the same point to say that, and then he says that with this same call, God has raised us all, yeah, us all there being Christians. So there, there is, in the, in the early church, and Justin Martyr is a, an apologist, he's a defender of the faith in the early second century, so like about 120 AD, you know, this guy was discipled by the disciples of the apostles, Right? Like he he's real close to the to the source, and he says, you know, God God called us all with Abraham's call. He called us all out of our countries. He's called us all out of our citizenship, so that we would be wanderers, so that we would be sojourners, so we wouldn't belong to any particular nation, but um, but that we would belong to Him to receive His inheritance, to receive His kingdom. And so, like this is this is rooted in the early church, and there's actually this letter to um, a guy named. Uh, Diagnetus that talks about um, the relationship Christians have with the world in this way, and, and and he and he goes kind of what you were saying, you know, that he addresses this idea of dual citizenship in a way, right? This well, you know, citizens of being, could, could, is it possible to be citizens of the king, of the kingdom of heaven and citizens of Rome? And um, the, the 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 epistle basically says, well. No, not really, because, because it, it, you know, if the, if the world is the body, you know, what, what the soul is to the body, that's what Christians are to the world. So in a way, there is a sense of which, yes, we do have a belonging that is in two places, in, in the kingdom of God and in the world. But that belonging is actually in the world globally, not in any particular, like, nation group. Right.
1: And yet, even if we take that tack, it's not quite so simple because we might be led to believe that if that's the case, all the Christians should just leave whatever nation they're in and form our own. (laughs) Which, wow, that's a scary idea. Yeah. But then we have, I mean, Jesus himself... Is, addresses the leaders of his day and mm-hmm. says, you know, when they're asking if they should pay the temple tax.
0: Oh, no, not the temple tax. The Roman
1: tax. The Roman tax. Yeah. And he re- replies, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. Mm-hmm. Because the image of Caesar was stamped on the coin yeah and the connection they would have made at that point was that the image of God is stamped on each one of us yeah
0: yeah right exactly so and I mean, you know we've got that to this day I mean, look at your money it's got it's got figures of, of American history on it, you know the people who held authority are on our money, Washington and uh you know, well okay, Franklin's a weird exception to that. But
1: Yeah, mostly dead presidents, but not exclusively.
0: Yeah, yeah. So but you know, it's it is but they represent the ideals that the government operates by. They represent the authority that, that's there. And so it's like, you know, yeah, okay, give give them the money, pay taxes. The script the scriptures are pretty clear on that. Yeah, give give taxes to whoever you owe it to. Like what Christians don't get to hold up hold back on that. You know, we we pay our taxes, but that that comes to this question of, um, we have the image of God on us. So what does it mean to render the something that's made in the image of God to anything that's not God? I mean, you know, obviously, like the Bible talks about this in terms of like, you know, we surrendering uh, surrendering our bodies to sin and being sold as slaves under sin and things like that. Like that's kind of an obvious sort of spiritual aspect of it but um in what ways could you have rendered yourself your life to to caesar and um the the early church kind of took this pretty radical approach to it in many places not all places uh, i think it is important to say that some of this stuff that we're saying uh, the church doesn't have a consensus on universally there there are points in time in history where there are majorities that are either in favor of being very integrated and involved with the political state, and then others, uh, other times in majorities that go, no, we should not. <laughs> so we're all over the place on this. Christians have, have never really settled on what it, the biblical way, but we're operating with the same theological principles, which one of which is that which is in the image of God should be rendered to God. And... The early church said, Look, um, anyone that would have to take the oath to the emperor, so soldiers, magistrates, particularly, especially those involved in passing life or death sentences, um, theater players, and gladiators. And uh, so all these kinds of people take oaths to the emperor, they swear their lives to the emperor. and, and and Hippolytus of Rome, in, in his uh, Apostolic Constitutions, which is kind of like a collection of early church teaching in the Roman church, uh, this was before the church was divided, he he says, look, until they give up those professions, they can't be baptized. They can't be received as, as part of the kingdom of God until they're no longer in those jobs.
1: Because they have an allegiance
0: that demands their obedience. Right, and it demands their lives. They've rendered their lives to something other than God. And baptism is that moment at, at where, if, it, it, more than any other, in baptism our lives are rendered back to God. You know, we're united with Christ in, in a way that's meant to be unbreakable. And so, yeah, so it was something to be repented of in a sense. You know, and, and and not like in a sort of like, oh, this was this awful sin. I mean, it might be, it might be. But you know, I've got friends who who in in the ministry who were lawyers in a past life, and they say they repented of being lawyers and became ministers. Like, <laughs> right?
1: It's it's not necessarily because they were doing something. They might have been doing the job in a very upright way. Upright way that they were able to care for people and yet yeah. there there is this pesky problem of when it comes down to it if you're told to do something mm-hmm. you either have to obey and uphold the office mm-hmm. or follow your conscience of what god is telling you to do yeah and let down
0: yeah.
1: the office you have sworn to.
0: Right. Right. And and so it's, you know, Jesus says very simply, you cannot serve two masters. And so to renounce any oaths, any vows that were made that are that pledge your life to anything other than God is an important part of baptism. And uh, you know, we actually still do this in in our Anglican baptismal rites. You know, we reject and we, we renounce all the powers of the world too. So like and, the, and this is, I think, where you get into complications of things of like military service or political office. Because in those positions, people take an oath to defend with their lives the, the Constitution of the United States, the government of the United States.
1: And the hard thing about that is we get into these positions oftentimes – well, sometimes uh, for economic reasons these mm-hmm. days – because we feel like we don't have any other choice right? or because we're trying to do what is right and we're trying to help or defend people right? or do affect a change in the government and help society. And yeah. there's these very noble reasons.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and and, I mean, I think it's important in all the stuff that we are saying and not saying here, because there's a lot we're not saying. Because Um, we just
1: don't have time to get
0: into everything. Right. uh, But in all of this, it's important to realize, like, um, I don't think I could suggest that Christian life is able to be apolitical. I don't think it's possible for us to not be engaged in the political life of the world. I don't think as a Christian you can avoid that. Um, politics is is uh, the only thing outside of of um, <laughs> the the reality of life with God that is per, is almost as pervasive. <laughs> yeah. So, but so I mean, it's not it's not that things aren't political. It's actually just that we can't be as simply engaged or integrated into the systems of the world. You know, everybody's going to go quickly to Romans 13, which says, you know, submit to the rulers that God has put in place and pay taxes, give honor, all those kinds of things. Um, and, you know, the government uh, is supposed to, it has the sword to punish those who do evil and to reward those who do good and all that. But uh, as uh, my bishop recently said, you know, you can't have you can't have a Christian theology of government that embraces Romans 13 without also including Revelation 13. And in Revelation 13 you get this image of these beasts that are under the power of the devil and they rule the world. And it's this image of worldly government. Every government is is part of this. And every government is in rebellion against God. Psalm two gives us a picture of this. Right, Like there's this image in scripture of, yes, we as Christians are called to obedience and to honor and to uh, give what is owed. And and as this submission, right? And yet, at the same time, we're called to recognize the powers of the world are arrayed in rebellion against God. Every single one of them. Even even the government of the United States. And maybe some days, um, maybe especially... (laughs) Government of the United States I don't know, I can't say Um, For sure You know, that's uh, Questions of degree are are kind of In the divine log and I don't have That power (laughs) Yeah So But yeah, so Christian theology Christian theology of politics of government Is going to reckon with Both Romans 13 and Revelation 13 uh, is going to reckon with submission and obedience and honor and paying taxes as well as um, recognizing rebellion and disorder. And the fact that, you know what, the real kingdom, the real citizenship, the real government that I am sworn to, that I have an allegiance to, is the kingdom of God who which is ruled by Jesus Christ. And how am I to live my life in the kingdom of God is going to... How I answer that question is going to answer everything else. It has to. Like, if I'm going to be engaged in the politics of the world, it it has to be answered by how do I live life in the kingdom of God.
1: Yeah, I don't know what else you say to that. (laughs) Um, I mean... At a certain point, that's where I think we can all agree, Christians, liberal and conservative, that, you know, God has to be first. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And some of that is, well, yeah, 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 okay, okay, okay. But now, how do we... And that's where we start... (laughs) That's where we start getting lost, right away.
0: Mm-hmm. But, yeah, and I think that's because we don't really, I, I think we don't have enough vision of the kingdom of God. I, or, or we don't have enough hope or trust in the kingdom of God. Like, we, we, look, at, we look at things like the Beatitudes, and we say, oh, that's going to be so nice someday, when, when Jesus takes over. Like, blessed are the poor in the spirit, someday. Blessed are those who mourn, someday. Like, we, we just, we decide right out the bat as we hear it. That's not happening. But that, where's faith in that? Where, where is faith in Jesus? Where is faith in the God who, who made that promise to Abraham, who was faithful to that promise to Abraham, who brought blessing to the entire world through an old dude who should never have been able to have kids? Yeah. You know, but do we have faith that God, when God says something like that, "Blessed are the poor in spirit," that God actually means it, that God actually intends for that to happen? When He says, "Love your enemies,"
1: and that's that's where my brain was just now. That I was, you know, really trying to mull is this concept of loving your enemies and you have been shown mercy, mm-hmm. therefore show mercy. Yeah. And how how do we engage in anything in any other way than that? Right. Which makes things like military service or being a judge, or, you know, any number of these really important roles that as Christians we say, well, we don't want to just leave these up to people who don't believe what we believe. And yet, how, how do we fulfill these offices
0: right. yeah.
1: and still maintain yeah. these fundamental truths of who we are as Christians? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and, and those are the questions, right? And now here's, here's the thing. This is where, where it really all sticks for me, like, everything we've said thus far, like, I could absolutely say and would say from the pulpit and have said some of it from the pulpit. <laughs> and uh, Yeah. And, and people haven't always been happy with that. That's okay. Yeah. Um, and, and, and because for me, like, these are things that are absolutely clear from Scripture. What I would have come to beyond that, I couldn't say from the pulpit because I took a vow. As a priest, I would teach nothing uh, except that which was clearly proven from the scriptures. And so, like for example, though, but that said, I still have a conscience. I still have an ethical system. I still have things I think about. I think about and, and and parse out and try to sort. And so, for me, um, you know, military service and political office and things that require that oath are just a no go. That's not any, I, I I can't, I can't reconcile that with the, the teachings of the scriptures, mm. um, you know? And so, yeah, no, I couldn't be a judge. I could, you know, aside from qualifications, obviously, mm. you know, I, yeah. I couldn't be, I couldn't be a soldier. Uh, I couldn't be in the House of Representatives. And um, even if, you know, even if somebody had all the money and all the votes for me, like, I couldn't do it. Because uh, that oath is a massive barrier to me, and I don't, I cannot take that oath and and really believe myself to be upholding my baptismal vows right. as a citizen of the kingdom of God. And then at the same time, though, like I know people who are devout lovers of God who serve in the military. And uh, we have, we have those, we have those conversations and we're different places on it. Um, I, I have, you know, there's a, a friend of a friend uh, on, uh, that I've interacted with a little bit on, on Twitter is, uh, you know, Tim Fall and he's, he's a judge. He's a Christian judge and he talks about what, what it looks like to apply mercy and justice and see these things reconciled in his practice. And he's done hard work to try to sort that out and make that, you know, so in some ways there's a level of we have to have some grace for one another yeah on these things and that's a big deal because these are things that a lot of
1: times this isn't just side issues for people this is stuff we hold so tightly that you know we get into this mindset so like how can you be a good Christian and not think this way about this issue?
0: Mm
1: -hmm. And yet, we have to be able to have that grace. And I think we've we've fought long and hard Mm -hmm. over some of these issues because we haven't always been on the same page. And we're a lot closer now than we were 10 years ago. Oh, yeah. But... These are issues is like...
0: yeah, they're not easy. No, they're not easy. And, and here's the deal. You can uh, e- even if you have your principles, even if you have your roles and like it's very clear in, in your system and the way it's supposed to be, like I had a f- I had a system that was very straightforward. And you know what? it works for me. <laughs> um, and you know what? It worked for Dietrich Bonhoeffer too. Like, you know, he he had this uh, way of, like, here's the way Christians are, and here's what Christians are in the world, and, you know, he was a avowed pacifist, um, you know, you, and, you know, full-on nonviolence, full-on, you know, Christians shouldn't take life. Actually, nobody should take life, and war is evil, and it is. Most people I know who've gone to war say war is evil. So, like, this is... Uh, you know, there's there's question about whether it's necessary or not. That's the thing. And, and there's a but, lot of military service in your family. There is. There is. So, like... Um, but, you know, Bonhoeffer is, like, you know, this avowed pacifist. And then he gets involved in this conspiracy to assassinate Adolf Hitler. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, you know, and, and I mean, I, I would really love to get inside his head. But I can just imagine the tension and the struggle there because his principles were at war within himself and, and just to try to reckon with what he believed he was obligated to do as a citizen of the kingdom of God to love and pray for Adolf Hitler on the one hand and then as a German citizen, as someone who was part of a world that was going to be in a world of hurt because of Hitler to say, I need to do something. Right? Like, he felt like this trap of it. And, like, I don't think any of us are really in the place to say, dude, you were way wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Yeah. I think there's good scriptural grounds. Like, if I was called upon to make some kind of ecclesiological... Like, if there's an ecclesiastical court and Bonhoeffer was brought up on charges, like, okay, we could convict him. There's no question. Like... (laughs) with that, in terms of that. But, but from a personal situation, like in that side of it, like when your convictions just wrestle like that. Yeah. So I guess
1: at this point in the conversation, we have to say, as with so many of our topics, as much as we would like to have a clear answer, mm. we really don't. Yeah. And that's really our point here, is to have these conversations. It's like, well, we don't have all the answers. Right. But they're conversations we need to be able to have.
0: Yes. And and the other thing is, is where this gets in, this is of absolute vital importance in life with God. Because, um, you know, I mean, the, the entire book of Revelation was written about this struggle. You know, like how do we deal with the powers that work in the world, the political powers of the world, the economic powers that work in the world, and maintain allegiance to Jesus? Like the, that is the entire struggle in the book of Revelation. It's all through the scriptures. And uh, the Psalms, Psalm 2 is a massive reflection on this. Like we as the people of God, in some ways, are caught in the middle. But it's important for us, you know, again, our allegiance is, is to God and, and to his kingdom. Our service, our citizenship is with our Savior and with the Lord Jesus Christ. And any other claim to our allegiance has no authority by comparison. And learning to live into that is an absolute struggle. But any other claim of allegiance apart from that to God and his kingdom, it, it can't have that authority. It can't have that power. It can't have that claim on us. And um, that, that it's a struggle to live that out. And it's a struggle to be faithful as a citizen of the kingdom of God. And uh, to live in love and harmony with our neighbors who who uh, may be quite proud and quite sold out in their citizenship. (laughs) So, um, you know, just commend to you all the the need uh, for prayer, for scripture, for study, for leaning in and um, because it's absolutely necessary that we, well, do the hard work
1: it's important that we wrestle.
0: Yeah. And, and um, you know, the kingdom that's going to last is the kingdom of God. Without any question there. So, but um, that is all that we're going to get into today. But uh, until next time, God bless.
1: And have a good one.
0: Thanks for listening today. We hope that this word was a blessing for you. Please rate and review on your favorite podcast app. You can find us on Twitter at Fighting with God. Or Facebook at Fighting with God Podcast. Remember that Jesus is here to speak peace, faith, hope, and love into your life. So go in peace.